Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we finish up our time in the Tower of a Thousand Crossovers. Now, last episode we left off, we had our patron Jay submit a prompt that had us taking three of our previously established settings and mixing them all together in some kind of amazing gumbo style new setting. As always, I'd like to remind everyone that this is the second part of a two-part series. By all means, you really need to go back and listen to that previous installment because otherwise it's going to be really confusing. And before we get into today's episode, of course, if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, don't right now, because Twitter is, oh boy, it's not looking good. Instead, go straight to our Discord where you can chat with us about world building, introduce your own world, ask questions about anything you want, and generally just chat and have a good time. It's lively over there. It's fun. Of course, if you, like Jay, are incredibly generous and are feeling particularly generous towards us, you can give us money over on Patreon, where you'll get access to early episodes, patron-exclusive episodes, a patron-only Discord chat, and oh, a number of other goodies as well. I would like to thank our patrons and all of our listeners, but especially our patrons right now, for your continued support. We love and appreciate it deeply. And with all of the shilling out of the way, let's get right back into it. Where last we left off, we had a twist to reconcile, which is add in some time travel. Uh, oh boy. Who, I mean, th actually, this one's not too difficult. We had some pretty easy forays into time travel, but... As our resident time travel expert, Daniel, start us off, explain to us how you're reconciling with this twist. Um, I mean, this seems to be a highly fantasy-based setting, so I think, it, it, coming back to what Courtney has said about an hourglass, I mean, it can be as simple as that maybe the characters don't know, but this tilting and turning, this receding of the ocean is part of a cycle that's happened before. And so when this this, this the ocean comes in, you can find things from a distant past because mm -hmm. it's receded before. So the, the quote unquote time travel is encountering things from a, from a version of the tower in many eons past. And that's part of its weirdness when you explore uh, that ocean. Cool. Floor. That is cool. I, I like the direction that we're going with so far. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The, the fact that it's like, they're literally tides of time. It's quite cool. Uh, you're going to find your like great, great grandpappy down there somehow, you know, just chilling out at the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. Maybe things get like preserved in this dead ocean. Oh, like if that, you yeah. fall into it or if you drop something into it, that's just going to stay like that until the tides go out. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I would like to specify that we should have them be pockets of preserved amber time, if that's cool with y'all. Sure. Yeah. What do you what do you mean by that? Well, to kind of preview my own, actually, I'm just going to dive right into my own uh, reconciliation with the twist. Last time we left off, we basically made it so the the heroes or the, the number of champions were all racing towards getting to this fixed point at the ocean floor to try and like take on this this challenge. Right. I am interested that time freezes uh, in these bubbles, in these kind of champion bubbles that are created. 
so there are, I'm not sure if it's at the core of the ocean itself or the core of the tower, because it's technically the ocean floor and that gets really kind of complicated. But regardless, at the very bottom of this place, at the end goal, where they go is frozen in time. And I don't know how to reconcile that yet fully, but I like this idea that there are pockets of frozen time throughout the ocean and maybe there's a deliberate movement by the tower, by the tides themselves to kind of shift them into a particular shape or something like that. But that's what I'm going with. There's pockets of time, frozen time that are in the bottom of the ocean. Interesting. Is that past the gate or before they get there? I'm going to say it's past the gate. Past the gate. So like in the in the receding ocean, you, you can spend a lot more time than you think if you enter the wrong pockets. Correct. Oh. And and what happens as well is it's basically, um, it, okay, it's an anime reference. I don't give a fuck. It's basically the, the parabolic time chamber in like Dragon Ball where you can just train like crazy and like uh, you walk out of this thing and you're like, oh, he jumped up like 250 levels just <laughs> by being in there because he's been training for what to him feels like centuries right mm -hmm. but to everyone else it's only been you know a year or something like that or however mm -hmm. long it's been but like the longer you're in there the longer you have a chance to train and like do different things and stuff like that presents a nice temptation because if you're traveling through the ocean they come with limited food from the living world the living yeah. mm -hmm. so you could get sucked into a time portal use all your food and now wow i still have like the entire ocean to go in and fuck you know mm -hmm. it becomes Tricky, yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering too if there's like another kind of time bubble that almost does the reverse, where in it oh. you don't experience the passage of time, but say you you stand in there for what feels like 30 minutes, you step out and years. like years have passed. Yes, different kinds of bubbles. Like some of them. Yeah. I mean, if sure. we're thinking with like if we're taking it out of the realm of fantasy, it would be like some that are dilated more than others. You know. Yeah. Now, now I feel like we're we're kind of doing Jay's previous request, which is to do the sky of a thousand lands. Cause we had pockets of time dilation in that <laughs> yeah. setting as well. And now we're basically doing that, but like at, with, with the, so we're adding a fourth setting is basically what we're doing, <laughs> but that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So th that is, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But anyway, Courtney, you yes. still have to tell us how you're reconciling with time, uh, time travel. So please, by all means, let us know. Yes. Uh, so I had two kind of simpler ideas and also they're more whimsical, I would say, than yours. Um, the first one was that the areas where the cat scratches at this tower and unravels it, like create these weird time flux areas where where time just doesn't act correctly. And my other thought was that the magic food in this tower plays a role in experiencing different times of existence. Like something about eating a certain type of food can can bring you back in time or maybe slow things down for you, speed things up. Mm. Yeah, we, we'd have to dive into that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? I mean, I guess it's almost like a similar to what you had in mind for your time bubbles, but like instead of stepping into something, you're consuming something that changes how you experience time, um, whether that's like by putting you into some dream state where you experience a, a previous time that already occurred or if it's like actively slowing you down to the point where everything around you seems to be moving extremely slowly, but you're still kind of fully there. 
Ooh, Interesting. I, I, I like that. It's like, so I can see some food is designed. So I can see it as a precautionary thing. Like you have your food to survive, but say you're in the in the sea realm and you run into a bubble that's going to, um, you're going to be in that bubble for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So 10 minutes passes outside, but you're trapped in that bubble for three years. So you want to like maybe train during that time. So you eat a special food or maybe, maybe you don't want to train, maybe you want to sleep. You eat a special food that puts you into a catatonic monk slumber, right? So you can mm-hmm. emerge refreshed oh, or yeah. the inverse, you go into a bubble that's going to um, do the opposite. So it's going to like, you're going to be there for a moment, but then when you get out, like a long time has passed, mm-hmm. maybe the food there helps you um, to like, to slow down, I don't know, to slow down your, or to speed up your metabolism so that yeah, you can get yeah. back, you know, you can get out and not have to deal with the consequences of not having, you know, of, of, I don't actually know, I don't know what would happen with that one, but a food that could help you in that case <laughs> yes, too. Yes, it's, it's very you know? complicated, yes. <laughs> I, I like the idea that like, you're going to want to bring food to counteract whatever like some of these things mm-hmm. are, you know, yeah. which, which also suggests that there have been champions who've returned and they're like, yo, time's all fucked in those bubbles, yo. Like we're going to have to fix that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. That that's certainly something that we can work out as well, for sure. Yeah. I keep thinking to um, Breath of the Wild when you create all these like different recipes to get cold resistance or mm. heat resistance, but in this it's like time resistance. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure that as we develop this uh, a little bit more, we're going to come up with other things that need resistances as well. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm hinting at my faction, of course, mm. but um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. So uh, time travel, it's just or time in general. Now just a weird part of the landscape, which I think works out. One question though, I feel like we need to add in the polyhedron headed cat to this in some way, because I feel like if they're going to be a big chaos God, they're, they're going to be attracted to, or at least interested in these kind of time bubbles. How do the polyhedron headed cat relate to this altered time space? Well, the first idea that I'd said was that like where it scratches messes up time because it's like Mm. unraveling the tower there. But I could also see it being drawn to the bubbles as like playthings for it. Oh, like I mean, can it be a creation? Can it cause those bubbles? It is pure chaos. Yeah. Maybe it also like messes with the nature of them. So let's say in the past, an expedition found a bubble that slowed time, but in between that and the current expedition, the cats come along and like whacked it around and its nature mm. shifted. So like they can't really predict what will happen. Yeah. I, I just love the idea that a cat is like batting around the concept yeah. of time. Like it's a ball, yeah. you know, like that's, that's very whimsical and fun for me. So yeah, mm-hmm. I can, I can support that for sure. I mean, I can also see this as being how people interpret what they're seeing happening. Like, Perhaps the cat is some incomprehensible form of things, but the way mm. that it appears in our limited experience is cat-like. And so that's why mm-hmm. we attribute that mm-hmm. to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> well, I feel like the twist is thoroughly reconciled, so I feel like it's time we can move into the factions. Courtney, why don't you get us started off? Tell us what faction you're bringing in this time. All right. Um, so speaking of whimsical stuff Uh, i wanted to bring in more of that whimsical nature of the land of a thousand dead dwarves and since we kept the d8-headed cat who is now running around causing mass chaos i am introducing a faction of weavers whose role Mm. is to mend the tower and minimize the damage this cat is causing by unraveling it 
a solid idea. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking something similar where like where they're 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 not just weavers, but they're also like architects and like artisans and you know, masons. Masons is what I was thinking of. Mm. Yes. But yeah, go on. Tell tell us more about this faction. Yes. Uh and to tie in some of the competitive aspect too from Battle of Thousand Suns, I'm picturing their mending almost taking the form of like knitted graffiti. Like, yes, they're doing a good thing by fixing the tower, but they're also tagging areas yes. in a way to like assert their dominance. Like, yeah, we fixed up this area that this other group let fall into disrepair. Yep. So it's like there's like this big ass like banner like repaired by yeah. like the Wangu crew or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, that's great. I love and that. I'm visualizing them as like these people going around with these giant knitting needles and like big spools of time thread i guess and mm -hmm. uh, other sorts of really whimsical tools oh yeah i love that i love that a lot actually is this realm um consisting of mostly human things or are there other species like what's the composition good question i guess as a default i like always picture stuff as human but i'm i'm open to going in whatever direction with this yeah I mean i'm not uh i want all humans <laughs> if we can oh, okay. if yeah. we can help that's it. fine, that's fine. <laughs> i don't really care the only reason why I asked is because um, since you've got kind of a Studio Ghibli vibe, mm -hmm. I could see certain factions serving that role, you know? Mm -hmm. mm. I, I'm certainly more of like human dominated. And then if we wanted to add in like spirits and stuff like that to add in that additional Studio Ghibli vibe, I'm cool with that. And actually that kind of plays a significant role in my faction, but I'll wait until we get there for mine. What were you thinking, Daniel, as far as like? things that could tie in with that mending aspect i only ask because like when you when you describe them at first i pictured them as like not human in some way mm -hmm. and okay. more in, in the realm of like the weird like you were talking rob a tangentially um not human species that's on the fringes or that mm. serve particular functions kind of like the uh, uh you know what are those kitsune or whatever the kitsune? kitsune yeah that kind of thing yeah well mm -hmm. kitsune are like they're fox spirits who like seduce people and steal their souls so like but i, I get what you're saying and actually what we might want to do is tie them back to clark's idea of like i'm pretty sure they were squirrels right like they were mm -hmm. like some kind of squirrel folk <laughs> who like did stuff for the tower and it's basically that right like we can that's add some can, yeah 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 I'm, I'm if if that's the case i'm fine as long as it's mostly human it must be mostly human i'm not okay gonna, okay yeah <laughs> i like the idea of like a squirrel clan though doing this like yeah if they have some advanced climbing abilities that lets them get to certain spots and leave their tags and places that nobody else can oh, reach. Oh, I, I think that they were like flying squirrels as well <laughs> because they were able to Perfect. easily traverse the, up and down the tower mm -hmm. Uh, and they were they were rare. They're basically seen as doing like the will of the tower in in the divinity, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea that they, if we're if we're utilizing that same faction, this is like the kind of rougher version where it's like we're vandals, but we're also still doing the will of the tower by healing it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like but they're just you know they're also graffitiing the shit out of it. I love <laughs> that blend. Is really mm. quite amazing and cute, actually. Daniel, why don't you hit us with your faction? How are you combine or what you don't need to combine, but it sounds like that's what we've been doing. So hit us with your faction. What it's what does it look like? What does it do? What does it smell like, Daniel? Well, I was going to bring the dwarves um from actually three things, I think, because it's the spirit of the dwarves from the dead dwarves realm who 
carry masks or or actually carry not masks necessarily but they carry the spirits of fallen heroes who didn't make it across the um the sea mm. so that comes from the the oni sort of creature that you had in um in the wuxia tower mm. and they reside in the dead ocean because they're these heroes who have lost their sense of who they were and they're this conglomerate each mm. of these dwarf like so i'm thinking like squat and they've been hunched over with time with time itself and they've got you know the the dwarfy beards <laughs> mm-hmm. and they carry the spirits of the previous fallen heroes in the, the sea and they've created kind of their own weird labyrinthine civilization among among the ruins and rocks in the bottom of the ocean <laughs> i like that what do you picture them carrying the souls in I don't know. I'm up to I'm up to ideas. I don't want it to literally be the mask because that's from the other setting. Mm. But they carry something on them that's physical and is a representation of the remnants of the heroes. So they are literally masks because I'm going to hit you with my faction, which are basically in not staunch opposition, but there's going to be some conflict between ours, Daniel. I went back and I listened to some of the characters we introduced from Battle of a Thousand Suns. And my original like character back then was Diana, priestess of the moon, who took like heroes and they basically stuck spirits into these like mannequin things that they had. And it was like shamanistic and it was also mixed with technology because they were robots that were being inhabited by spirits of heroes. And I'm like, okay, if I just remove the robot aspect of that, that is something that we can absolutely still do. And I was also thinking of my badass Oni creature from Wuxia Tower and how it would steal masks from heroes that would basically represent their souls. And I combined those two ideas. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why don't we have a faction of priestesses of the drowned, as I'm now calling them? Mm -hmm. And they basically take hero masks and nail them onto mannequins who then like become enlivened with the spirit of these dead heroes and they're then manipulated by these priestesses to do the bidding of the faction. It's creepy. Yes. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but I also feel like Daniel, you and I are pretty like, I see your faction as like preservers of these heroes. And I see mine as like, no, we're using them. They're tools that need to be used. Maybe what we can do is um, because I I pictured these dwarves as really being the heroes in some extent, the one that have been left behind. Mm. Maybe Mm. they're not the burden they carry is psychical because it's the memory of who they were. But Mm. your priestesses try and capture them and bring them out of their labyrinths and Mm. turn them into this this mask form thing to use them. Oh, interesting. I kidnap little dwarves. I, I didn't want them to be like literal kidnappers to me. Like they're, they're not evil necessarily. They're, they're like more shamans or they're more like priests or priestesses, right. Who mm-hmm. are like, they treat the spirits with reverence. So like in my mind, I think that they're going out to the dead seas and they're like fishing for masks essentially. Mm-hmm. But to me, it sounds like if you're, if your dwarves are literal heroes who've been scrunched over with time, I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want my faction to be like, scooping you up in nets and like seeing if you're big enough to throw back or something like that. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That would be hilarious. Little dwarves being captured. Just like holding you up by the ankles. You're like, oh, he's got a lively one. Whoa. This one's too small. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love back. that. <laughs> it is fun. Um, I have another idea though, Daniel, when you were talking about like, you weren't sure mm-hmm. where they kept the spirits. What if, they have the spirit or the souls stored in their food. assholes. 
<laughs> in oh, food. Oh, no, food works. Food, yes. yeah, absolutely. Like, because food plays an important role in like the time and there's oh. the food of the living, food of the dead. What yes. if that is mm. the food of the dead? Like they, they they grow the food. Yeah, they they make these recipes that defines each person in there. Yes. And that is the food that's in there. So maybe Rob, if like your your priestesses are doing something with that food, if they're even consuming it or or using it in some way with their magic, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I would like to so like I could I could have, see the dwarves as being because they're they're all they're past the point of like intelligibleness. I think they're kind of like <laughs> goblin dwarves. So I can picture them like raising this Goblins. food. <laughs> I'm thinking they're like dwarves, but they behave they're less intelligently. So I'm thinking like they they are also farmers. They're growing this food, and I could see there because you wanted some sort of antagonism between the two. Perhaps the priestesses like take their harvests, you know, mm-hmm. and the the dwarves try and fight with them sometimes, but really they're just kind of like you know, Cretans at this point. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. So there's hordes of little remnant heroes and they scatter around, but they grow the food kind of unconsciously. Okay, okay. We can we can make this happen. Do, do the priestesses eat the food to make the masks? Since it, I don't know how, or something, maybe there's some yeah. consumption. Well, no, the, the, the masks themselves are like, they represent the heroes who have passed, who they're, they're dead, right? Mm-hmm. So- this is, I feel like this is something slightly different than what we're dealing with here. But I love the idea that we're introducing the food of the dead with these dwarves and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Another option, I don't know, Rob, if you'd want to go with this, but if the priestesses are making the mannequins themselves out of the harvested grains or fruits or whatever that these dwarves produce. Oh. Like, you know, those... um. What are they like? The straw dolls? The wicker yes. things. Yeah, the wicker, like those kinds of things, but made of like seaweed yeah like food and stuff kind of come together wait the fact that there's seaweed is actually like i i can see seaweed working Mm. pretty well Mm -hmm. like imagine like a a scarecrow but made out of kelp Mm -hmm. you know like that is for some reason like just like unsettling enough yeah unnerving (laughs) and then it's like okay i've made this giant scarecrow and now i'm going to nail this like driftwood mask to it and like it just becomes inhabited by the spirit of a dead hero or something Mm -hmm. like that it becomes like a golem that's kind of cool yeah right 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 yeah that's oh that works very well for me Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so okay what I would like to do, by the way, like, Courtney, you have a basic function for your faction within the tower. Like, that is built in. I love that. Daniel, what's the function of your, like, goblin dwarves that we've got going? <laughs> are are they essentially just, like, a natural hazard? Are they, like, I mean, they're the heroes that, that have fallen. No, no, no. But what's their function within the ecosystem of the tower itself? That's what I'm kind of curious about here. Because if they're just like a natural antagonist to heroes who are trying to get to the bottom of the ocean, then like that's something. But like, like narratively, or do you mean like, like as part of the tower itself? Yeah. What is their greater like? What is their part in the the greater ecosystem of the tower itself? I don't think that. So I think that the heroes pass through the ocean. Some of them fall and are trapped, right. and they become these dwarves. Mm-hmm. Right. And perhaps the the psychic trauma of it causes them to create this food that is Mm. themselves like their their essence Mm -hmm. and in terms of like what peril they present to the heroes in the future is that they built these labyrinths which are probably difficult to get through okay like that's also mischievous you know okay wait 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 wait. you just said something that we haven't established that they Mm -hmm. they create ruins they create labyrinths so Yeah. yeah the fact that they're like they're the dungeon masters. They're like literally mm-hmm. the ones who are creating the traps 
and trials that the heroes have to go through. It could be lonely. That's why they're doing it. Or they're just bored. Mm. Yeah, they're like, or they want more heroes like themselves. You know. Yeah, I'm picturing this as like uh, corn mazes, but out of like kelp and seaweed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's some stone in there too. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But okay, you know what? It could also be. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, I made these traps to help myself train, and then eventually they forget why they made them, and now (laughs) they're just traps that are just sitting there. Yeah, because I think they're they're kind of dumb. They're dumb in the um in the forgetful sense. Right. You know, because they're so old and who knows how many eons they've been They've just there. deteriorated. Like, why yeah. was I doing this? What was right. I doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that's that why it's lot. easy for the priests to outwit them because they're dummies. <laughs> Maybe even like that memory, like the food of the dead plays a role in that memory. Yeah. Like the longer they spend there, the more time they spend they've been eating. eating this food, the less they retain their humanity or mm-hmm. dwarf manity or whatever it is. Dwarf man. This is why <laughs> they become dwarfs because of it. They lose their humanity. Mm. It's like, you know, in Little Mermaid, the little shrimp guys that were the captured souls of Ursula. Yes, I do know. I do know what you're talking about. Like yes. that, but dwarf sized and they can move around. Yeah. I think they're called poor, unfortunate souls, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they are. Yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, and I mentioned them animalistic to some degree. So it's like, you know, if you encounter them, they could throw spears at you, they could like drag you down. They could be nice. Who knows? Mm. Well, <laughs> remember that they're also like they're still heroes and I'm sure that they still retain a lot of like the combat ability and like mm-hmm. the ferocity that they once had. So they're probably like physically dangerous, at least for the most part. Right. Yeah. yeah. Unless you got like a cook hero down there and then he's like, well, <laughs> you know, I, I did this or, you know, like you got like one of the swimming <laughs> heroes or some bullshit or the not tying hero. I don't know. And you can, that's how you can also perhaps find a way to reason with certain ones because you mm. can reach down to some psychic element yeah. of them that remains, you know? Oh yeah. That was actually another person was running a game in your, or is running a game in your OSR plus system. And mm-hmm. one of his things for his campaign was that every important NPC we interacted with had like something that they sought out or bargaining space. He called it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this one thing that they care so deeply about that. Like if you do it, even unknowingly, they'll like instantly kind of be on your side. So that could be the case here where if you were running an RPG in this setting, like each one of these dwarves, you could roll up random things for them and like yes. have the characters interact with the dwarf and try to figure out like what do, what do they want? Do we just uh-huh. like try random stuff? Do we just like throw a bunch of things at them and see what they go for? Like study them. You study their yeah, patterns to yeah. see what it is they might have cared about. Mm-hmm. If well if we could tie it in as well, maybe maybe like eating food of the living unlocks part of that personality again or something like that. Oh, and that's oh, another reason yeah. to bring the food with you yes, as like offerings. Exactly. Yeah. To share it with them. I could see right. someone yeah. being at the point where it's like, he has only one piece of bread left and he's not going to make it. But he realizes that if he feeds this particular bread, the scent of which seems to arouse something in the dwarf's mind, that he feeds it to the dwarf knowing he's going to perish. But then the dwarf ends up being on his side and the dwarf takes him to a secret treasure trove of living food that's been in a time mm-hmm. bubble and it allows them to proceed on, mm-hmm. you know, so it's that kind yeah. of sacrifice you have to make, you know, right down there. And, and I would imagine that like, depending on, uh, which area, because we, we kind of introduced like regional cuisine last episode as well, that we can introduce that as well here. 
where it's like, oh, if you recognize where this particular dwarf goblin is from, you can be like, okay, wait, what do they like for food? What kind of food do mm-hmm. they like? Okay, here, yeah. this is a mushroom soup that this area is really well known for. And then it like, oh, you just see, like you see mm-hmm. as they eat this food, they like physically change for yes. a little bit, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. It's like, you see oh, where they really were like spiritually. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. And, and that is like very Miyazaki I can see as well, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like, there is a transformational aspect to the food itself. And yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Oh boy. Okay. We're making things work here. We're, we're absolutely making things work. Um, and by the way, like for, for my functionality, I was just thinking about this randomly. I would like my, uh, my priestesses to be, uh, the kind of like undertakers of the tower. So they have Mm -hmm. an importance in that, they are the caretakers of the dead. So it's not like they're defiling these bodies necessarily. They're just, you know, utilizing them. But no, they, seem, they seem like smarter and more um, ritual ceremony driven. Yes. So that makes sense. You know, yeah, that that's that was my get. That was my hope anyway. And um, yeah, yeah. OK, factions. Good. Nailed it. Did it. Killed it. I, I'm seeing this world a lot better now. But one thing I have, I still have questions. I still feel like we have so many unresolved things that we need to get to. Uh, but I, w- I wanted to bring this question up because we we're very focused as of right now, except for Courtney, on like kind of the oceanic aspects, right? Mm-hmm. What I would like to talk about just a little bit is what does the rest of the tower look like uh, and how we're incorporating the numerous other elements from the settings with the new superstructure that is the tower. Because I see the ocean, I see the competition, I see all that, that's awesome, that's dope. What does the rest of it look like? I wonder if we can, um, because there are different regions that people that live in these, uh, on the tower itself. I wonder if we can borrow um, something thematic from each of the the three settings to build a region of people. Mm -hmm. So they're concerned with a particular thing. So for example, Mm -hmm. like I know the... um, Let's say with the Wuxia people, there wasn't really a monarchy involved, but they had they had this um, mm. like spiritual ascension kind of monk esque Jedi esque yes. philosophy that dealt with the sun. You know, so you could have like a cast that is like um, a Heliopolis kind of sun god people who mm. worship some maybe worship some version of the cat or something, and their whole shtick is about um, physical self-improvement. So they're all really mm. brawny. You know, you can create cultures mm. based on the previous, the other settings. Tropes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I mean, I like. Yeah, uh, it's a cool idea. What, what I what I really appreciated about Wuxia Tower was the idea that there were wandering heroes. Like there was this idea that yeah. traversing from area to area was something that you did. And the more that I think about it and the more that I've had time to sit and kind of like ruminate on this idea, Wuxia Tower and Battle of a Thousand Suns, there's a there's a surprising amount of overlap thematically that we can really jibe with. You know what I mean? Like when I think of fighting games, which is what Battle of a Thousand Suns is heavily based on, I'm thinking specifically of Street Fighter 2, mm-hmm. where like the the whole conceit of that is like you pick your character and then your icon like travels on a plane to the country. And then you fight that champion, right? So like if you're Ryu, you fly from Japan and if you're fighting Blanca, you then fly to Brazil and you beat the shit out of Blanca. And then you fly to Thailand to fight Sagat, you know, like stuff like that. And like, man, like, yeah, there's a lot of overlap with the Wuxia element where like you travel to various areas to fight the champion and become a master in that particular skill. And I'm like, fuck, 
that's so good. That works so well in terms of like overlap. But here's what I suppose I would like to focus a lot on Courtney's Land of a Thousand Dead Dwarves and figure out what elements we want to take from that to really just spice up the tower and make that region look and feel different. Um, I mean, transit played a role in that setting big time, like the various vehicles on the Astral Sea. Uh, grudges also played a role because carving your grudges into Ooh, stone yeah. could, could root you to the living realm. So I'm wondering if like that could also carry over here where carving it or doing something with your grudge can like root you back to a certain place. I'm just not sure where to go with that. Okay. The the carving of the grudges thing I think works really well. And it doesn't necessarily have to, we don't have to stay with grudges. Yeah. But yeah. Think about who carves the tower as it is right now. It's the giant cat. So mm-hmm. like maybe there's like elements uh, or there are certain peoples who who want to emulate what the cat is doing. And as they carve into the tower, they actually get shards of creation and they're able to like express will through this kind of tower dust or tower shards or mm-hmm. rubble or something like that. So you know, you're, you're kind of creating the vandals to your faction, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the inherent conflict between your faction and this new kind of faction where they're, they're vandals, but they're also mm-hmm. magically enhanced by powers of creation. That is interesting. Now I'm picturing like, what would it look like if you had a, a spear with a shard of time tower mm-hmm. as its tip? Like, how would that work? Oh yeah. So like you're, yeah. Like you can pierce time or something like that. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of weird stuff that you can do with, you know, like the threads of creation. And and maybe that's what we should be looking at is that seeing them as literal threads. So you have the weavers, you know, that you, that you're talking about, and then we can have like the stitchers or something like that as the kind of opposing faction or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe there's also something to, since like time and, death plays such a huge role here like what if if they're like stitching something of themselves into the tower if that creates some sort of immortality or like Mm -hmm. it's almost like a a save point for them that they can return to it's a tether yeah yeah it's a literal tether Mm -hmm. you know like just physically spiritually all that good stuff yeah yeah so these people who tether themselves to the tower are they then like ridiculously daredevilish as a result like or they're just like i'm going to just literally leap off the tower because i have a t- like i have a tether i'm not worried about it you know something like yeah that. i do like that idea that that leads to people taking greater risks and potentially like becoming stronger and uh, more heroic Ooh, for this journey yeah. across the ocean but at the risk of like if the cat comes along and <sighs> rips up ya. your yeah. rips up your part of the tower then you're fucked yeah. Or it might not even be the cat. It might be the weavers who are trying yeah. to repair the tower. Yeah. Right, it's like right. this, they see it as like a misappropriation of how the tower works. So it becomes like a, uh, pardon the pun here, a cat and mouse game where it's like, <laughs> you have to like find yeah. the, the hardest spot in the tower to like, kind of like write your grudge into, to tether yourself to otherwise, yeah. otherwise the, the squirrel folk finds you and like, Oh, we fixed it. <laughs> and all of a sudden you look down as you're like leaping out of this 300 foot fall and you're like, Oh fuck my tether. And then yep. poof, you're just <laughs> done. Right. Like, I think that's a really fun way that we can kind of approach that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Oh man, this is, this is all working out so well. Like this is all, it's all coming together we we managed to mix in the chocolate and the peanut butter and the third element 
like the what what would that third like cherries i guess because like those three cherry like yeah whatever maybe they work for mm. a little bit but yeah mm. um yeah no this is this is all working for me i'm loving this mm. yeah so i suppose the only thing that we really have left to do is to determine a main story quest i think so mm-hmm. who is the villain in this i think that mm. i think that the nature of the setting is that the, the the world itself is so dangerous that it is basically the the antagonist, right? Because the setting, it's um, the conflict then. The main conflict is still like we need to fix the world, right? Because the the oceans are still receding. That's yeah. still a problem that's happening. So I mean, ultimately, it's either the the solution is either slay the cat being, which is not happening. It's a fucking cosmic <laughs> unknowable god. Mm-hmm. Or find a more renewable way to um, replenish the threads of creation via the ocean. Does the um, cat being personify itself in some way along their journey? Is that the final boss at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> it's like the cat avatar. So it's like Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat. It's like. You've you fought through Goro to get to me, and now it's time. We have the <laughs> well. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be like a singular thing, although that is kind of crazy and cool. But it could be along the way. There are like I'm thinking like how the Cheshire Cat behaves, and that it appears as you go, mm-hmm. and it has things. Maybe it has things to put against you and things to tell you. Because if it's chaotic, sometimes it might want to help you, and sometimes it might not want to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I do like the idea of it like randomly appearing in places, though. Mm-hmm. And also potentially, yeah, being the final boss at the end, mm-hmm. or maybe it presents something that is like that. It represents as the conflict in the end, mm-hmm. you know. And and mind you, just because you defeat the final boss doesn't mean that the threat is over. It's just like you've banished it for like a dozen years or something like that. So like you could technically lose a couple of tournaments before the threat. It's like okay, we lost the last eleven rounds. We have to win. We have to get this one. Otherwise, the, and actually, that's an escalating threat as well. So it's like each year that you lose, you see the oceans recede just a little bit more and it becomes just mm-hmm. a little bit more dangerous. You know, like having that kind of ramped up, that increasing tension as the years go by. That's actually a fun. And I, I think that's a really fun way that we can kind of approach it as well. Yeah, I like that. And. Then I wonder, like, what kind of things are coming out of the ocean the more it recedes? Like, oh, yeah. The, the worst, yeah, they, they get worse as it recedes 100%. Yeah, yeah. So there's a real fucking incentive for you to do good, you know? Mm-hmm. Plus, I'm just thinking about like the kind of um, politics and like stories. It's like, oh, don't worry. Like, this year, you know, we've got Stephen the Bold, and he's going to be the one to make it. He's going to be the one who's going to slay the cat god this year, and then we'll be good for another dozen. Don't worry. It'll be okay. Wait, what happened to Stephen the Bold? Oh, no, we're suddenly fucked. And then all of it's just, like, there's so many cool stories that you can tell with that kind of clock and that kind of, like, interesting narrative conceit, I think. It would be um, along those lines thinking about sort of like stories that Miyazaki usually tells, there's usually like a less powerful underdog involved. And I could imagine, um, you know, like say Stephen the Bolt has failed us and we really have to pass this. We have to get these heroes in this time and we have to get them across the sea. And they really have no one left except for like these plucky kind of like this plucky undeveloped hero who Mm -hmm. is not hero or heroes that are not, 
prepared for this, mm-hmm. but they're, they're the only choice. Right. And by some miracle, they win the challenge, they get past the doorway. But the virtue of these characters is that they're not, they haven't gone through all of the formal training that makes you think a certain way as a, as a champion. Right. And so they're still open to the unknown and to do things that wouldn't be expected. And so the challenges the cat poses, their youth and um, inexperience is actually to, to, to their advantage because they can solve things in ways they didn't expect and it gets them far enough. And that could be like the thrust of the story. Mm. Yeah, I like mm. that. Yeah. And I, what I think is fun about that as well is that, you know, you're basically learning on the job, right? It, it's kind of like exactly. um, part of the appeal of the Lord of the Rings is watching Frodo and Sam mm-hmm. go from like scared or, or and the others too, like Merry and Pippin and stuff where they go from like scared little hobbitses and they're like, oh God, oh God, we're way over our heads. Oh Jesus, oh no. <laughs> they become heroes. And then they become mm-hmm. heroes. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, right. oh wow, Sam's beating the shit out of those guys. Oh mm-hmm. man, look. They, you know, like they uh one of the one of the other ones, I can't fucking remember. Look, <laughs> they Pippin. just I think it's the one you haven't named. <laughs> no, I said Marion Pippin. I just can't oh, remember okay. which of it. I'm thinking of when they're fighting the witch king and like they stay like he's a distraction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, look, don't, 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 come on. I haven't seen Lord of the Rings in many, many years. I'm just mm-hmm. barely remember. I'm just barely holding on to my fucking sanity. But anyway, my point is, my point is, is that part of that appeal of the story that we'd be able to tell is like watching them grow competent over time. And mm-hmm. what might even be really fun about this kind of concept as like a story is maybe maybe it starts out as, hey, they're actually followers of Stephen the Bold. And what ends up happening is that Stephen the Bold is like, oh no, I've been defeated. And then like the camera pans slightly to the left and down. And it's like, all right, uh, Miles the Meek, it's your turn now. You've got <laughs> to save it. Yeah, you know, exactly. like, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Everybody so, groans and they're like, well, I guess we're screwed, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And so like you get the underdog thing. Yeah, that that works out. Beautiful, amazing, great. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. I feel like we've satisfied everything here. Are, are we good? Do we have any other questions? No, I, I'd love this setting. It, uh, Like, I know we struggled a lot in episode one, but I feel like this has come together in a really cool way. It's like whimsical, but there's also danger and adventure and all this cool stuff. Absolutely. This, this is high on the adventure mm-hmm. scale. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, If that's the case, I think it's just about time to wrap everything up. Thank you again so much to Jay for allowing us to explore this concept. I know it's a little off the rails compared to what you had in mind, but I I had a lot of fun doing it either way. Uh, Remember that if you want us to build your world, just like Jay here, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to come join our Discord and chat with us and tell us about Wuxia Tower or your favorite setting or anything at all, you can find a link for that in the description of this very episode. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous or you just want access to those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, you can go to our Patreon and donate money to us there. A huge thank you to all our patrons uh, who keep us going every week. And with all that out of the way, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together until next week. 